I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. This is Lars. Thanks again for checking out my podcast. Enjoy your day and the show, and let's make America great again. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. Our problems at the border didn't arise overnight and not going to be solved overnight. It's a difficult problem. That is Joe Biden, or Open Borders Joe, as we'd rather call him. Welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And Joe Biden came out almost two years into his presidency to try to address a problem that, number one, he created on America's border, that, number two, has allowed more than six million people to illegally enter the United States of America, has allowed fentanyl to be trafficked across the border. Yes, it originated in China, and Joe could get on top of that problem as well. But the way it actually enters our country, at least according to the DEA, is across our Mexican border or our border with Mexico. He's done all of that. He's allowed terrorists to come into the country. He's allowed convicted criminals to come into the country. And he's allowed millions of people to come in in a way that never happened under Donald Trump. Didn't even happen under Barack Obama. Didn't happen under Bill Clinton or even under George Bush, although all of those presidents up to Donald Trump were entirely friendly when it came to illegal aliens. In any case, I want to talk about the announcement that the president made today and about the fraud that he's trying to perpetrate on you, and I'll use his own words to prove it. First, though, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to have you on board for a little bit of honestly provocative talk radio. And if you want to join that conversation, you're always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we have for 26 years put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. If you'd rather write to me, talk at LarsLarson.com. Doesn't get much easier than that. And if you want to answer our Twitter poll question, I'll get to the poll question in just a moment. 
and welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past 23 years. Glad to have you on board. Now, about Joe Biden. Now, almost two years into his presidency, it's only a few weeks away from that, Joe Biden decides to come out today and tell folks, don't come to America illegally, even though that's exactly what he did as a candidate. He said when he became president, he was going to make sure that people were going to be welcomed at that southern border. And guess what? If you welcome them, they will come. And more than six million have already come. And if you don't believe that number, you say, well, I've been hearing fiscal year numbers and I've been hearing other numbers since January, since this, since that. The total number in the last not quite two years of Joe Biden has been six million. Take a listen, though, as Joe Biden decides to bash the GOP, the Republicans, because of what? Their role and the problem he created? Listen to this. If the most extreme Republicans continue to demagogue this issue and reject solutions, I'm left with only one choice. To act on my own, do as much as I can on my own to try to change the atmosphere. Immigration reform used to be a bipartisan issue. We can make it that way again. It's not only the right thing to do, it's economically a smart thing to do. Now, the fact is, Joe Biden has asked the Congress not much of anything. I mean, he's had both houses. Well, he's had the House. He's had the Senate. Just barely in the Senate, but he's had both. Has he proposed to do amnesty for six million people to throw the doors open? Open Borders Joe makes this announcement just a few days before he makes, and get this, his first ever trip to the American border with Mexico. And you're probably saying to yourself, well, he probably went down there as a senator. He was a senator for decades. No, he did not. And you might say, well, but he was eight years vice president to Barack Obama and the border was a big issue then. Didn't he go to the border then? No, he didn't go to the border then. In fact, the closest he has come is that about 15 years ago, get this, the White House says, well, President Biden has been to the border because one time on a campaign trip, he drove along a highway that was near the Mexican border. They count that as visiting the border. So Biden says he's planning a trip to El Paso, Texas this coming Sunday, his first ever trip to the southern border as president, actually his first ever trip ever. And then he's going to travel from there to Mexico City to meet with North American leaders on Monday and Tuesday. But guess what he decided to do? He's going to expand Title 442. That is the way that we have pushed back an awful lot of illegal aliens who tried to enter America during the pandemic. And the courts have upheld that. Biden tried to get rid of it. The Supreme Court said, no, you're not going to do that. He came out yesterday with his intent to go to the border, quote, to see what's going on. To see what's going on, you've been president for almost two years. You campaigned on this issue for more than a year. And in fact, do you remember when he said that he was going to assign this job of the border mess that he created to Kamala Harris? He had high praise for his vice president, who he put in charge of the border mess in May two years ago, not quite two years ago. Kamala Harris has yet to even visit the border. Instead, she has flown over the border and taken trips to places like Guatemala and other countries that have been the source of too many of the border invaders. But Joe still says she's doing a great job. And the failure to pass and fund this comprehensive plan has increased the challenges that we're seeing at our southwest border. No one knows this better than the vice president.
Nobody knows it better than the vice president. She hasn't even bothered to take a look at it with her own eyeballs. So Joe's advice now, after campaigning for president and promising people who came to the border they'd get into the United States, and six million of them did, he now says, quote, do not, do not just show up at the border. Stay where you are and apply legally from there. Yeah, like that's likely to happen. Except that having just said that, Joe Biden just a couple of hours ago said there is a human right to come to the United States and stay. Listen. I think it is a human right if you have your if your family's being persecuted, if you're being dealt with in a way. I mean, like it was I thought it was a human right for, you know, uh, uh, Jews in Germany to be able to go to get to escape and get help where they could. Um, but the other side of this is there's also the people in this country have basic rights that are here. Basic fundamental right to assure that people are coming, have been checked out. They're not criminals. They're not problem. They're, you know, that their background checks are real. Now, the fact is the Biden administration, the Customs and Border Protection Agency, has already caught convicted criminals, has caught suspected terrorists crossing the border because of Joe's policies. And Joe Biden wants to compare Jews trying to escape Nazi Germany with people who are simply coming to the United States for the most part because there are better jobs and better paychecks here. Even reporters are starting to ask tough questions about that. Listen to this one. Mr. President, why did you decide that now is finally the right time to visit the southern border? Republicans have been calling on you to do this since the beginning. Because the Republicans haven't been serious about this at all. Come on. They haven't been serious about this at all. I wanted to make sure that what? I knew what the outcome, at least the near outcome, was on Title 42 before I went down. Now, hold on a second. We've had a mess for the last two years. And if you're wondering, what would I do differently than Joe Biden? Well, I'm not president, but I'll give you a short list. Number one, admit the border is not secure. You've lied to America about that. You've lied about control of the border. Fire Alejandro Mayorkas and relieve Kamala Harris of her duties as border czar. Acknowledge that there is death and there is destruction that have been caused by his policies and then reverse the policies that actually created the crisis in the first place and announce a real plan to stop all that Chinese fentanyl from entering the United States over our southern border and killing 100,000 Americans every year. Glad to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday and glad to take your calls. The Northwest Nonsense is coming up next on the Radio Northwest Network. You know, I've been wondering what it would take to convince Oregon and Washington of the insanity of the two states legalizing hard drug use and hard drug possession. Well, maybe this will do the trick. When a crazed drug user literally chews off part of the face of a 78-year-old man who's waiting for a max light rail train, eats some of his flesh, and he tells the police he did it, and then bites off the man's ear, is that enough to prove the point hard drug use legalized in Oregon is an absolute disaster? Now, that incident happened in the early morning hours of Tuesday, and we talked about it on Tuesday. I even played some of the 911 audio of the dispatcher talking to the paramedics on the scene saying he's lost at least one ear and he appears to have half his face chewed off. Well, thankfully, the man who is the victim is in the hospital and he is recovering. The man who did it is in custody and hasn't been shy about sharing details of his crazy activities with authorities. Corin Kramer, 25 years old, admits he was using alcohol and pot and fentanyl. And he tells the cops he knew the nearly 80-year-old man was a robot 
because of the way his victim smelled, and he knew that that robot was trying to kill him. Yeah, he's crazy for sure, but I guess if you use enough alcohol, pot, and fentanyl, you'll probably go crazy if you aren't there already. So Kramer admits he tried to bite the man's face off. In fact, this lunatic actually thanked the police officers for saving him from the robot that was attacking him because of his smell. The victim is now recovering in the hospital. As I said, Kramer is in custody facing criminal charges. And for a change, DA Mike Schmidt show is actually asking the courts to hold him without bail. Now, of course, if it's not murder, you don't necessarily have a right to hold somebody without bail. But a sensible judge could actually set the bail high enough that this guy doesn't get back on the streets. But with liberal judges like those on the bench in Oregon and Washington right now, who knows what's going to happen? Lately, the courts have made a game of releasing dangerous people from custody over and over and over again until that person finally kills somebody. So who knows what's going to happen? Patty writes in about the current speaker fight. And by the way, it's now going to a ninth ballot because Kevin McCarthy lost on the eighth ballot. Yep, it seems to go this way, even though McCarthy was making deals as fast as he could last night. Patty writes in, Lars, just wanted to say, Everybody is now complaining that 10% of the Republicans are holding the House hostage with this speaker vote. Isn't the House just a reflection of the country being elected every two years and all? While we sit here and let them, less than 10% of our population hold us hostage with all their woke language and ideologies. I'm just saying, Patty, I have to agree with you absolutely. And our question of the day comes in from Mike Adams. Lars, the GOP October 2022 elect us a big red wave. We'll kick backside and take names. Hunter, Joe Biden, IRS, the border mess, the January 6th screw up. Red wave, more like a ripple. January 3rd, 2023, we need to elect a Speaker of the House. Result, Keystone Cops, Marx Brothers, Laurel and Hardy, who's on first? My God, what is 2024 going to look like? Signed, Mike Adams. And he says, if I remember those clowns, I must be old. Well, the fact is, Mike, these folks are doing exactly what you ask them to do. We've always asked really good conservatives, don't go back on Capitol Hill and just go along and get along. Actually stand up for something. They're doing it, and now you're frustrated because the process of the House of Representatives is held up for a couple of days. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Presented by Rogue Conveyors. Go Rogue. Today I'm going to give the Daily Grill to the Northwest elected leaders who refuse to get on top of the crime problem, and they're literally killing the very cities they claim to serve, Portland and Seattle. In this example, Seattle Credit Union has now announced it will shut down some of its locations over crime and because foot traffic has actually cratered for them. The Seattle Credit Union, reported by our friends at Como, is shutting down branches in the city due to crime and dropping foot traffic, the latest in a growing list of businesses that have closed locations amid safety concerns. Portland's had the same problem. People are fleeing from uncontrolled cities. Over the past few years, says the credit union president, branch foot traffic has declined 55%. And many of the transactions have moved to digital channels. No kidding. Who wants to face that kind of nonsense? He said, we also weighed branch safety issues and the cost of providing a safe and secure environment for both our members and our staff. But that's not the sole or the main reason for the decision to close those branches. 
Now, today's best email. But if you want to weigh in today, you're certainly welcome to the conversation at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers always go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Today's best email comes to talk at LarsLarson.com, brought to you by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Northwest, currently hiring and paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators. TheMEIGroup.com. Daniel writes in, Lars, I'd like to start this off with saying my condolences to the family for their loss. But uh, and then what he's talking about is the story I talked about yesterday, where a couple of top media types, uh, one from ABC News and one from the Washington Post, a husband and wife with two small daughters, one two years old, one five months old, who decided to go out on the town. So they checked into a members-only fancy hotel in downtown Manhattan. They parked their two-year-old and their five-month-old in the hotel room, set up a couple of internet cameras, and then went off to dinner, uh, about 15 minutes walk away. And in the middle of dinner, the husband suffered a heart attack, had to go to the hospital. His wife went with him instead of going back to the, to the hotel uh, to make sure that her kids were okay. Daniel says, I'm sorry for the loss because the husband in this case did die. But as the legal guardian of my siblings, whom are which uh, 11 years old, 8 years old, and 5 years old, not to mention I have an 18-month-old, I can't see the logic and smarts of leaving a child barely older than my son with an even younger child. What would have happened if either of them had started choking on something? Would you just get up? and hope that they last asphyxiating until you walk 10 or 15 minutes to get there. Granted, this could be just my anxiety as a parent and a caregiver, but I can hardly trust living my 11-year-old brother, a good kid with a good head on his shoulders by himself, for 10 minutes it takes to walk to the store and back for milk. Can't believe that people could be that careless with our future generation. Not only do our kids not have a dad, they could go into the foster care system until mom proves that she's not negligent, which could take three months to literally years. Sorry for the long email and glad for what you do, sign Daniel. Daniel, thanks so much. I appreciate the email. By the way, if you want to answer that Twitter poll question, we put up a brand new question each and every day. I got an email from a young lady named Kendra who wrote to me and said she was preparing to volunteer to be a parent volunteer at her child's school in the 4J school district that's in the Eugene area. She's had down to start doing the online forms to apply to be a volunteer. She got toward the end of the application process and it asked for my proof of vaccination. I'm not able to volunteer at my daughter's school field trip because I'm not vaccinated. I'm not a criminal. I don't have a record. I've never been to jail. But because I'm not vaccinated, I don't get to volunteer on a school field trip. So the question today, should Northwest schools require vaccination? And in this case, we're talking the COVID shot, which, which isn't exactly a vaccination for parents to volunteer in schools. I'd answer no. You can answer any way you like. Find the question at Lars Larson Show. Glad to be with you and glad to take your calls. Coming up, we want to talk about a police chief who was murdered on this day a number of years ago and what's happened to his killer. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday uh, right here on the Radio Northwest Network. I want to tell you about a terrible anniversary that is today, January the 5th, 2023. So 12 years ago uh, on uh, 2011, uh, the life of chief ralph painter was taken when he was shot and killed as he was responding to a local car stereo shop uh in the town that he was police chief in in rainier 
And I wanted to talk to two people about that. One is Alan Painter, his brother. And the other is Rosemary Reynolds, my colleague who used to work at our flagship station, uh, FM, 10, FM News 101 KXL. Rosemary, welcome to the program. Since you're a young lady, I'll welcome you first. And uh, Alan, thank you very much for taking the time on this anniversary day. Thank you. Rose, uh, you've actually written a book about this. Is Rosemary there? No, apparently not. So we'll, we'll hook up with her just a little bit later. Alan, I want you to tell me, do you remember how you first learned the news that your brother had been shot with his own gun when he was trying to do the work that he did every day as the police chief in Rainier? Well, yes, I do. I do remember that day very well. Um, his, his oldest daughter called me at home. I was getting ready to go to work because I was working swing shift. And she called me and told me her dad had been shot. But that's all I got. Because, you know, details are sketchy at first. Of course, me thinking he's cheap. Why would he even be out in the field? You know, he's, he's and it's a small town, but why is he why is he even out in the field? But uh, he was, and it was him, and uh, that's how I found out. Of course, my first inclination was to get to my mom's house. I, I didn't want to hear on the news. I mean, but when he was when he was police chief in a small town, uh, it, this isn't like a big city like Seattle or Portland, where the police chief sits yeah. in an office at the top of a building and primarily deals with paperwork and and doesn't actually go out in the street and do the the day to day work the way your brother did. Exactly, exactly. You know, they they fill in for their guys. They fill it when there's a shortage. Um, you know, something going on in town. Obviously, they they're backup for their guys. He's backup for his guys. Yeah, very small town. You know, uh, I always. I always referred to it, referred to it as like Mayberry, uh, just a small little town. I'm, uh, Rosemary Reynolds joins us now, my former colleague from our uh, flagship radio station, KXL. Rosemary, welcome to the program, and tell us about the book you've written about what happened that day, January 5th, 2011. Well, Lars, I'm uh, really uh, happy to have worked with the Painter family on this, and everybody involved in this case has been so cooperative. And in the last four years, I've been working on a book that we've finally given the title to. It's called Trapped in the System. And the reason for that title is, if anybody followed this at all, Chief Painter was killed in 2011. It wasn't until uh, 2019 that Daniel Butts uh, took a plea deal, and that gave him life without the possibility of parole for 49 years. So here we are, uh, 100 hours later in interviews and thousands of pages of court documents and things that I've sifted through. And the book should be out late in the year this year. Okay, we'll make sure that people know about that. But before I go back to Alan, tell me this. Why was this this particular case so complicated? Because it doesn't sound like it should have been that complicated. Chief Painter was shot and killed with his own gun. They knew exactly who did it. This should have been an open and shut case. But instead, it's had a very tortured history, including the state hospital. And please speak to that as well. Okay, so I think a couple of things to mention here. Um, anytime mental illness or the possibility of that is involved in a court case, it makes things go longer. Uh, various opinions are looked after by psychologists, and the judge would play a big part in it. And in this case, Judge Ted Grove, uh, in his own way, wanted to make sure 
that Daniel Butts was able to aid in his own defense if this were to go to trial. So he was sent back and forth to the state hospital a number of times. I mean, it wasn't until we got to that eighth year after that a, a lot of things were set into motion to say, okay, can he finally go to trial? And I talked to so many investigators, legal types, psychologists, people who understand these kinds of cases. It wasn't a slam dunk, but a lot of it goes back to mental health. And was Daniel Butts, let me ask Alan Painter. Uh, Alan, your brother was murdered by this man. Um, are you certain that this, this man who did the murder, Daniel Butts, was mentally ill, so mentally ill that he couldn't understand what he had done that day or that he couldn't understand, couldn't help in his own defense, which is required by the law? No, Lars, I never bought into that. There was never any proof. There was never any documentation. Uh, I don't know if Rosemary's gone to the school where he went to school and stuff, but as far as I have heard, and stuff that I've read and heard from the DA, there's not just because weird somebody acts weird and they have odd behavior does not mean they're mentally they're mentally ill. Uh, he certainly had that, but that doesn't mean he's mentally ill. And I just never bought into that. He played it very well to where the defense, his defense team, uh, pretty much swooned over uh, Judge Grove and had Judge Grove believe in everything that they said. That's that's what was that's what held up the court. I'm talking to Rosemary Reynolds, a former reporter at KXL, and, Ra- and Alan Painter, who is the brother of Police Chief Ralph Painter from Rainier, who was murdered on this day back in 2011, murdered, shot to death with his own gun by a man, Daniel Butts, uh, and there seemed very little uh, evidence at all that, that it wasn't him who did the crime. But then the question came, was he crazy enough that he couldn't aid in his own defense? Rosemary, are you convinced that he's truly mentally ill enough so that he couldn't help his defense attorneys in his own defense? Or is this just malingering to get himself better treatment by the system? Well, that's a real catch-22. And for me to comment on that uh, feels kind of weird. I will say this. In 2020, uh, the psychiatric board did meet with him, and that was a big deal. And it was their decision, because in 2019, once he took the plea deal, everybody thought, okay, he's going to go to prison really soon. Now, there's not going to be any more delays. Well, that didn't happen. It was several more months, maybe um, closer to a year, and the psychiatric board said, hey, we need to review. Alan got the letter. Um, we need to review what's going on with Daniel Butts, and they gave him a date, and then they changed it, and then they went back to it. And what was supposed to be like a 30-minute hearing went four hours. I was fighting my deadline at the station trying to get the information. And I think in the, in the end, they decided he was ready to go. He would be sent over there from the state hospital to the penitentiary within 30 days, and he would be medicated. So he had to be medicated for something, and 30 days became four months. And I remember Kathy Painter, Ralph's mom, saying to me in an interview right after that hearing, she goes, I, I don't even, I doubt it. I'll doubt that he ever goes to prison, and I'll never see that prison door slam behind him and during the remainder of my life. Well, she was wrong. He did go. He is there. He's in an intermediate part of the facility. So he may be mentally ill, 
but he's at the state hospital or at the uh, state prison now, and he'll spend the rest of his life there unless, of course, some governor comes along and decides to commute his sentences. Have been happening far too much. Rosemary, thanks for the time today, and uh, uh, Alan, thank you very much for all the years you've provided us with information on the case involving your brother, and and God bless him and our sympathies to your family. Thank you, Lars. Thank you, Rosemary. Lars. Yeah, and we'll be glad to let you know about Rosemary's book when it comes out, because this is one of those travesties. As far as I'm concerned, everybody kind of goes a little bit crazy when they get charged with a serious crime because they realize they might be able to get out some of the consequences of it if they simply tell everybody, no, I, uh, I'm not in my right head. So when we come back, uh, I'll update you on the latest on the speaker choice on Capitol Hill. We'll also talk about the latest big developments in the Idaho murders of four young students and the man now in custody. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. If you'd like to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day. And our Twitter poll is one way to take part. Should Northwest schools require parents to be vaccinated in order to volunteer at their kid's school or, say, on a field trip? Uh, I would say no to that. I got an email from a young lady, Kendra Weaver, who wrote in. She was frustrated. She wanted to be a volunteer for a kid's school in the 4J school district. That's Eugene. And then she found out at the end of a long application process, you have to be vaccinated. And if you're not, then you're not allowed to help out. I think that's crazy, and uh, and I've told you why before. I, I don't think the vaccine actually keeps you from getting COVID. It doesn't keep you from transmitting COVID. It doesn't keep you from getting seriously ill. They say it reduces the serious illness, reduces the chance of death, but it doesn't stop you from transmitting the disease from one person to another. So why require it of parent volunteers? So that's my re- reasoning, and that's my answer. If you want to answer the Twitter poll, you just go to at Lars Larson Show on Twitter or LarsLarson.com on the web. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let me update you as to what's going on in Capitol Hill right now. They are now in vote number nine. And Kevin McCarthy, there's no sign, even though he was allegedly cutting deals all of last night, there's no sign that Kevin McCarthy is any closer to getting the 218 votes he needs to become the House Speaker. But they're going to just keep voting on it until they get a different result. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is a little bit the definition of insanity. Uh, Before I get to your calls, I want to update you on something else. When those four college students were murdered in Idaho uh, way back in November, I was shocked like anybody else. And I thought it was horrible, but there wasn't much to be said about it until we knew who was the person behind it. Well, now the man is accused, who is accused, has now been brought to Idaho. He showed up in court today, uh, Brian Koberger. And Koberger was taken into custody way back in Pennsylvania, waived extradition. Let me tell you, there have been a couple of big new developments that we've found out about. Number one, the police and the FBI apparently knew or suspected that he was the prime suspect in the murders of these four young college students, Ethan Chapin, Zanda Kernodal, uh, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonclaves. Uh, all, uh, all but two of them 20, one, two of them were 21, murdered in their home. Two other students who were living in the same home Uh, in Moscow, Idaho, where they were going to school, um, they were in the house, but did not, were not hurt, were not even, well, they weren't confronted by this guy. But a really new, interesting development has come up. Number one, 
the police knew about uh, about this suspect, uh, about Koberger. And they had the police pull him over as he was driving his car, get this, driving his car from Moscow, Idaho, all the way back to his home in Pennsylvania, even though he apparently planned to come back to continue his schooling in Pullman at Wazoo uh, in criminology. Now, that one seems strange to me. The idea that you take a car and drive it 2,500 miles to be at your parents' home for a few weeks over the holidays, planning to come right back to Moscow, Idaho, 2,500 miles a few weeks later. That one makes no sense. Unless, of course, we knew at the time the police were looking for a, an Elantra, a white Elantra automobile. And he was taking the white Elantra automobile thousands of miles away from where the crime had occurred. That makes me suspicious. It also sounds very strange that he'd pick up the phone and call Dad and say, Hey, Dad, why don't you fly all the way from Pennsylvania out to Moscow, Idaho, then we'll both get in the car and spend two or three days driving all the way across the country, and then I'll drive my car back. I mean, the cost, the time, all of the rest of that. But here's where it gets very, very strange. When he showed up in court today, the police were willing to release the charging document, the affidavit, which is a description of what happened, what the police are basing the charges against Koberger on. And what they say is, of the two people who were in the house who were not attacked, and who did not die uh, that night uh, on November 13th, um, one of them, a young lady, heard something going on. She had come home at 2 a.m., went to sleep, woke up about 4 a.m. She heard who she thought was Gonclaves, one of the young ladies who was murdered, say something to the effect of, there's someone here. Now, I guess you could say that in your house, but if somebody woke me up at 4 a.m., and I heard my wife or another member of my family say, hey, there's somebody here, I think I'd stand up to investigate. She opened her door. She couldn't see anything. She, the, the affidavit then says she opened her door a second time, and she heard what she thought was crying coming from Kermodal's room, uh, one of the other young ladies who was murdered. It also added that she heard a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. Mortensen, this is the young lady, stated she opened her door a third time after she heard crying and saw a figure all in black clothing with a mask that covered the person's nose and mouth, although these days with the pandemic, a lot of people are wearing masks for no reason. Mortensen described the figure, physical attributes and all, said the man walked right past her as she stood at her doorway, frozen in shock. The male then walked toward the back sliding glass door and apparently out of the house, she then locked herself in a her room after seeing the man. When she investigated further, she found that her roommates, four of them, well, three roommates and one boyfriend, had apparently been murdered. And that is the latest development. She apparently saw this guy, although he was apparently covered head to foot, but he never stopped to confront her. He never stopped. He just walked right by her, apparently close enough in a hallway of a house that she could see him and he could see her, and he didn't stop, and thank God he didn't attack her either. But that is one of the latest developments in this case of Brian Coburg, now charged with four counts of murder in Idaho, which, by the way, has the death penalty. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer? They're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, 
not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And I don't want to alarm anybody, but there is a bomb that is about to hit the west coast of the United States of America. Now, it's a weather bomb, not the kind of other explosive bomb. And I knew we had to talk about it. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Pleasure to be with you. Always glad to get your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. And welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk on a daily basis. But about this weather bomb, they're calling it a bomb cyclone that's due to hit the West Coast. And oftentimes, I'll see reports in the mainstream media. And I know the guy I have to reach out to is my friend Chuck Weiss, airline pilot, meteorologist, and global warming debunker all day long. Uh, Chuck, it's good to have you back on the program. And what about this bomb cyclone? What is it that they're reporting on? And what should we know about whether that description is apt or not? Yes, Lars. It's uh, it's perfectly uh, normal. It happens every single year. There's nothing unusual about it. Uh, there are a few anomalies that occurred with the storms this year, though, that do point at uh, something that's not uh, that we've seen uh, over the last, uh, let's say, ten or twenty years. And that's the fact that uh, when this uh, system developed, and, and first of all, let, let's just define what a bomb cyclone is. It's just a uh, meteorological it's not even a meteorological term it was an it was a it was invented uh, to describe uh, something that goes on meteorologically and that is a rapid development of low pressure that's all it is and we're talking about if you looked at a weather map uh, the pressures where the storm develops would drop some phenomenal amount like up to 15 millibars in a short period like this 3 hours and if you looked at your home barometer uh, that's about a half an inch 0.44 inches of uh, mercury and if it drops that fast in three hours, that's pretty fast and indicates explosive development. So then uh, very tight pressure gradients develop. The winds get very strong. The precipitation is heavy. And then and that's the effect you could expect it to, uh, to bring to areas that would affect, including snow, depending on how much cold air that there is, uh, you know, over the area that it's headed towards. So that's the only thing that's unusual about it. But we've had two of these in the last week. Uh, the first one that brought the southerly winds and the damage just a few days ago, that was a bomb cyclone, and it developed a central pressure of about 960 millibars, the same one that we have uh, today that brought the strong east winds, except the one over the weekend brought the, uh, the low pressure got close enough to the coast to actually switch the winds around to the south, and we got some gusts between 50 and 55 miles an hour in the interior, but they were up closer to 80 miles an hour on the coast, so we got some damage from that. But we did get gusts uh, up, you know, 50 miles an hour out of the east with this one. But the, but the thing that's unusual this year compared to previous years is that the jet stream is displaced about 6 to 8 degrees further south than it normally is this time of the year. So it's directing a lot of this energy towards California. And they've been getting inundated with heavy rains, flooding, uh, just monstrous snowstorms in the Sierra Nevada. 
And the uh, the fact that this is happening actually debunks again by a demonstration of nature this very idea that atmospheric CO2 is changing the climate. Because the only way you can get these storms to develop and to get the jet stream to get displaced to more southerly latitudes is if you have a monstrous supply of cold air at high latitudes up in the Arctic. And if you remember over Christmas, we, we just missed a glancing blow of extremely cold Arctic air that uh, came out of Siberia, traveled through Canada, and affected all of the uh, United States uh, that affected the travel um, nightmare over a Christmas holiday. And uh, the center of that actually pushed into the Intermountain region, and Casper, Wyoming's temperature, when that cold air mass struck, was 42 below zero. If, if it had moved just two to 300 miles further west, we would have had a post-1968 Christmas blizzard uh, where we got a, a foot or two of snow in Portland and, uh, and blizzard conditions like we did back then. We just narrowly missed that, but its effects were felt all over the country. So when you're in a winter like this, Lars, you, you either get these cold air masses uh, that will travel over the land and cause the sort of misery they bring with the extreme cold and snow uh, that we had over Christmas, or in this case now, the cold air is dumping out west of Cam, uh, uh, in eastern Siberia out over the Kamchatka Peninsula and developing a very strong jet stream across the Pacific, and that's developing these low pressures now where they, they get driven into California or up here. And the one now that's going into California now is uh, it's actually strung out all over the West Coast, but it's bringing the uh, heavy precipitation and mountain snows to California. And the pattern uh, for the foreseeable future is the same, where California is going to continue to get this and will be on the northern edge of the jet stream, which is pretty good news for skiing. Okay, but, but uh, Chuck, two things about this that I see as good news. Number one, as you point out, it debunks the idea of the climate change theories that say, oh, we're, we're going into this man-caused uh, anthropogenic uh, climate change. This would not happen if what the climate change advocates are saying is true. And second, dumping all that snow all over the West Coast and the Rocky Mountains, that's actually good news because the other piece of climate change, which we heard about all summer, was we're in a drought, and this is a historic drought, and that, and that we've never seen anything like this before. Number one, it pushes back against that, but number two, it helps to alleviate some of the shortfall in water that people see. That's absolutely right. right. And what we're seeing right now is the very heavy mountain uh, snowpack in the Sierra Nevadas, and uh, that snowpack is going to obviously continue to uh, pile up through the winter because the pattern isn't going to change very much. And it is the displacement of the jet stream that's causing this. And like I said, if the, uh, if, a, if the theory of anthropogenic global warming by carbon dioxide was actually true, you wouldn't be able to get these patterns because the Arctic would be much warmer than it actually is, which would require, by the laws of physics, to have that jet stream back to the north, and you wouldn't be able to get the storms into California. So this is nothing more than cyclic changes that we see. We're in the cold phase of the Pacific Decadal Oscillation now, which typically brings a colder Gulf of Alaska and, uh, and, and down the West Coast for sea surface temperatures and warmer in the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic. The patterns that get generated from this were happening 20, 30, 40 years ago, and that's exactly what we're seeing on the records right now. This is the highest uh, snowpack we've seen in the Sierra Nevadas in, what, 40 years? Yep. Uh, and the same thing for, our, for snow cover in the north northern hemisphere, again, a pushback on this whole idea that anthropogenic warming and CO2 is changing the climate. Because if it was, you couldn't get these patterns. There wouldn't be enough cold air in the high-latitude regions. And, of course, we knew this years and years ago. The only thing that's changed 
since the uh, founding work in atmospheric science was done that sorted all this out with the greenhouse gases, was the invention of these climate models, which are a disaster. They don't work. There was no hope they could ever work, and the academics that developed them have not been truthful about what, uh, what their skill level is in forecasting the future climate. So if you compare what the climate models have actually predicted, which is all this warming, which we never got, and then you go back to the founding principles, the founding principles have not been disproven. The models didn't do anything. They simply supplanted the founding principles, and they keep claiming that uh, those are better than founding principles, and the models are simply not. They're failures. And so look at this disastrous public policy stuff we're making in Oregon, Washington, and California over this sheer nonsense. Absolutely Gavin Newsom right. is, is just ignorant. He doesn't know anything about climate, and he is ruining that state with his energy policies, just like we're beginning to do in Oregon. Absolutely right. Chuck Weiss, our friend, the meteorologist and global warming debunker about the bomb cyclone hitting the west coast of the United States. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. We like to call this Conspiracy Theory Thursday more just for fun because I noticed year, decades ago that oftentimes Thursday seemed to be the day that everybody had a conspiracy theory. And of course, welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network, serving the Northwest with honestly provocative talk for Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. And this segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles. You pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Now, I want to get some of your calls. we got a lot of things to talk about today. We'll update you on this. Brian Koberger, the accused murderer in Idaho of four young college students, three young ladies and a young man. Uh, he has now appeared in court. We know more about the case now. That's number one. Number two, the anniversary today, 12th anniversary of the murder of Chief Ralph Painter, uh, from Rainier, who was murdered with his own gun as he tried to respond to a crime that was going on in his own community and has been pointed out by a few people, and I'm leaving the names off of this. Lars, you were talking about the murder of Chief Ralph Painter in regards to Daniel Butt's mental capacity to stand trial. You should search out the Cowlitz County Sheriff's Deputy, Justin DeRosier. And I remember this case well. Justin was murdered by Butt's half-brother, April 14th, 2019, family of cop killers, uh, and I'll leave the name off of that one. And with that, to your calls. If you want to jump into the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with Charlie. Hey, Charlie, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Yes, hi. Hi, Lars. Um, I just have a quick question. I want to see what you think of my theory on climate change. Um, okay. The Earth goes around the sun the same every year. Who's to say that the Earth is on railroad tracks? and stays the exact same distance from the sun every time it goes around. You know, if it's a few thousand miles this way or that way, that could cause the climate to be a little warmer or a little colder. The Earth is not on railroad tracks. Well, it, it kind of is, Charlie. And now you're going to test my knowledge of astrophysics, which uh, anybody will tell you is not fantastic. But uh, I'll tell you what, if anybody thinks I'm wrong about this, it is kind of on railroad tracks in this sense. Railroad tracks keep the wheels of the train in between the tracks, and the train rolls down the tracks unless it gets derailed. In the case of the Earth, the thing that keeps us at that distance from the sun is the speed of the Earth. In other words, if it's going a certain speed, it will go in a certain orbit. If somebody got out and started pushing, if you could actually push the Earth at trillions and trillions and trillions of tons, and speed it up, it would go into a, an orbit farther from the sun. If it began to slow down, 
it would drop closer to the sun as you've suggested. But here's the problem. If you're arguing that something is slowing the Earth down and causing it to drop to a lower orbit closer to the sun than 93 million miles, which is where we are, um, if it's slowing it down, what speeds it back up and what slows it down? Because that's the only way you change that orbit. The only way something stays in orbit around the Earth is if we shoot a satellite up there and cause it to have a certain speed. And if the Earth slowed down and began to drop closer to the sun and it continued to slow down, eventually the Earth would fall into the sun and we'd all be burned to a crisp. So what's causing the Earth to slow down and speed up, Charlie? I just think that there could be slight variables in the loop around. It's not a complete, it's not a perfect circle around the sun. No, it's not a perfect. Uh, very few orbits are a perfect circle. Uh, but 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 so again, thousand, how would you how would you get the Earth? Miles, how would you get the Earth to orbit closer to the sun without slowing it down? It would just a natural phenomenon. A few thousand miles here and there. No, no, but Charlie, Charlie, using magic, you you might as well say the word magic. When you say a natural phenomena, if we put there, there are satellites that are in low Earth orbit, so they're so close they actually hit a few molecules of atmosphere. Do you know what happens to those satellites? The molecules of atmosphere, even even a small number of them, start hitting that satellite and they slow it down. And you know what happens? The satellite drops into the ocean, or sometimes it lands on land. That happened with Skylab decades ago. So what is this natural phenomena that is slowing the Earth down? And once it slows down and drops into a closer orbit, what causes it to speed up and go back to the higher orbit? I just, I just question whether it follows the exact same track to the, to the foot every year, every side. Well, I wouldn't argue that it stays to the foot. But, Charlie, when you're talking about getting us close enough, if we're 93 million miles away from the sun, and that's roughly the number, uh, and we were to get closer, how much closer would we have to get to be able to raise the temperature? And, again, I go back to my other question. Once you get closer, how do you get farther away? Well, I know, I know a little bit about the physics of that. You have to speed the orbit up again. But it's an interesting theory for a Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and it's always entertaining to hear them. Let's go to Eric, who's listening on the Radio Northwest Network in Woodburn. Hey, Eric, welcome to the Lawrence Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I just got a little problem with the government, which is kind of normal. Um, can we, can we make it resident, short and simple I, enough to get, to, get to what the problem is? <laughs> Well, they've got me in a in a circle. Uh, one guy needs a card from one company or one part of the government. The other comp or their part needs a card from them. So I can't get a card from either one. And I've been here since 1993. Why didn't you become I a citizen? The whole, I worked the whole time, Eric. And uh, yeah. Eric, why didn't you become yeah. a citizen? Uh, then you wouldn't need a card time at all. I had a, I had a vow with the queen or with the monarchy, and I could not become a citizen without becoming uh, creating. So I couldn't go back to Canada. Okay, but, but, but Eric. Okay, so second question is: You've been a green card alien the whole time. You've renewed your green card for twenty plus years. What's the problem? Well, I had my life or my wallet stolen, my green card, and my social security. All my cards were stolen. Yeah, uh, they and? know who I am, but I can't prove it to them because I don't have the green card to 
to the Social Security. Well, there Security. has to be a process then, for replacing a green card, isn't there, Eric? I mean, I, I know we try not I to lose our important <laughs> documents, but when you, lo- when you lose your green card, can't you go in and say, uh, I need to get a new green card? I've been telling them that, but they say, well, we need a Social Security card. Okay? They each know that I am who I say I am because in the green card or in immigration, I put my finger on a screen, and it brings up my name and everything, and I can put my number, my Social Security number in it as or the Social Security, and it comes up, yeah, that's who I am. But each one of them needs the other one's information. Hmm. You and know, you know who I would go to, Eric? <laughs> Eric, you may have heard me say, I was born in Taiwan. My parents are Amer- were American. They're both passed away. Uh, but I was born in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. They were in the. My dad was still in the Navy at that time, the U.S. Navy. Do you know how I got my birth mm-hmm. certificate? Because I had to get it from Taiwan, from the government of Taiwan, and so I have my American passport because I'm an American citizen. Uh, and it, right. you call your member of Congress, and they have That's members. What I've been trying to do that too. <laughs> you haven't called one yet. I have been trying to get an appointment with them. I've called there. You don't need to pl- call. You know. Call and talk to their staff. They have almost every member of Congress has people set aside to do nothing but what they call constituent work, which is exactly the problem you've right. described. Have you called and talked to yeah. one of the staff members? I have not got to talk to one of the staff members yet. Because you don't need to talk to the actual you. member. You talk to one of the staff. I'm giving you the actual right. advice that will solve your problem, Eric. But if you spent years okay. trying to resolve this and you haven't called your member of Congress yet, Eric, you need to do your part as well. It's Thursday, it's the Radio Northwest Network, and it's the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to remind you about a very important anniversary, January the 6th. Now, important to the Democrats because they saw it as an opportunity for a dog and pony show and to try to make political points. Uh, Important for conservatives because we see just how deep the conspiracy may go in a lot of federal agencies And I thought just around, just before Christmas, we were starting to get, in time for Christmas, some really good news. Uh, News about what Nancy Pelosi knew and what she didn't know, and about why the Capitol was not prepared for what happened on January 6th, two years ago. Well, Joe DeGeneva joins me now, former U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia and former Chief Counsel and Staff Director of the Senate Rules Committee and Counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Joe, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. So two years after uh, what they call the deadly capital assault, although nobody except Ashley Babbitt uh, died on that day or because of that day, what do we know today? And are we any closer to finding out? uh, I wanted to start with what what Nancy Pelosi knew and when she decided to forget it or ignore it. Well, we pretty much know now that Nancy Pelosi refused, rejected all of the ideas to protect the Capitol that day. I was sitting in a television studio watching the events when the breach of the Capitol occurred. And the first words out of my mouth were that this was a catastrophic security failure. And that meant just from looking at the pictures that there was an insufficient perimeter. There was an insufficient number of Capitol police. There were no national guardsmen and there was no perimeter. Uh, What Nancy Pelosi and the then Democratic Sergeant-at-Arms of the House did was decide, because of optics and the political optics, not to protect the Capitol. The person directly responsible for what happened that day is Nancy Pelosi. 
any, uh, when I was the United States attorney for the District of Columbia for six years during the Reagan administration, I had as part of my major responsibilities monitoring demonstrations in the Capitol and working with the Capitol Police, the D.C. Police, and the Pentagon to protect institutions and facilities. This would have been handled very easily and with some advanced planning. There was no advanced planning by Nancy Pelosi. So one of the great sadness as I watched the Republicans' failure to organize the House of Representatives is that we are pushing back very, very important oversight hearings and very, very important subpoenas to Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, and others that should be going on now and aren't happening because of this monstrosity on the Hill right now. No, and since you mentioned that, let me ask you, Joe, if you put uh, Kevin McCarthy in charge, and it looks like he's about to, uh, he appears to have lost on the ninth go-round of, of votes right. to put Kevin McCarthy in. I'm not a McCarthy fan, but if, he, if you put him in, do you have any great confidence that he'll actually engage in the kind of investigations and demands for information that will bring that information about? Because I'm skeptical of that. Very good question. Uh, I am not a Kevin McCarthy supporter. I have opposed his the speakership, uh, obviously not formally, but I've been against him because I don't think he's a leader. I think he's an empty suit. I think he's a carbon copy of Christopher Ray. He has a great barber and a great uh, and, 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 a, and, and a great tailor. And so here's here's the thing. Uh, if Kevin McCarthy gets to be speaker, of course, there are going to be investigations. He wouldn't have any choice. I mean, he, he just he just doesn't have any choice. The problem right now is uh, the, what, the, the Republicans need to get organized, get this done, and get underway. I think that Jim Jordan is perfectly capable, and Mr. Comer is perfectly capable of doing this, although Comer, Comer needs to learn how to pronounce Elon Musk's name. He keeps calling him Eli Musk, and it, I must say it is relatively embarrassing. I, Jim Jordan's a good guy. I think he can do it. Uh, but I must say the Republicans have done a very poor job of oversight the last time they had control, and that was because Paul Ryan refused to allow subpoenas to be issued. And that's why uh, Trey Gowdy was such a pathetic chairman during the Benghazi hearings. I was going to bring up Benghazi because you say, well, we have hearings. You say, yeah, we had hearings on Benghazi. And what seemed really plain to a lot of us, we never got to. And that is you had people on the ground. They asked for help. They asked for security. You denied it for somewhat the same reasons that Nancy Pelosi denied security to the Capitol, uh, you know, because of the optics of it under Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And now we've got kind of a replay of it on American soil. Let me ask you something else, though, Joe. And speculate if you care to. But I've speculated for most of the last two years, Pelosi knew what was coming and she decided to consciously to let it happen because there was going to be a political advantage in it. In the end, it gave her the predicate, since you're a lawyer, I'll I'll use lawyer terms, a a predicate for having an unconstitutional impeachment of Donald Trump. It gave her the excuse and she wanted that. Now, she didn't know that she'd get an excuse big enough for that, but she knew she could make political hay out of it. Do you think she deliberately shortchanged the Capitol, not just because of optics, but because she said, hey, if Trump's people, uh, some of his people go up on Capitol Hill and cause a ruckus, it'll be to our advantage? Uh, I can't know for sure, but it certainly is a very reasonable interpretation of what happened. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is evil. Uh, She is the classic example of someone who has stayed in Washington gain power through the uh, through the abuse of power. It's a fascinating combination. Uh, yes, I think that's exactly what could have happened. 
Uh, it doesn't matter, actually. But, but we do need to take it apart and get the answers, and we can't do that while we're trying to organize the House and we can't get there. But I've long since made up my mind. Uh, the, the first two witnesses I want to have on the January 6th hearing are the former chief of police of the Capitol, who will outline clearly what he was prevented from doing by Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Sergeant Arms. And the se- second witness will be Lieutenant Byrd, who murdered Ashley Babbitt. And so, you know, there's lots to be done, but first we got to run the place. And right now we're not running the place. We're running no, around I, in the place. How would you cut through this thicket then? Because every time they vote, <laughs> McCarthy seems to have fewer <laughs> votes in favor of him, more in favor of I, others. See, how, it, how do you it, cut through well, that, Joe? That is such a great question. Here's, here's the reason Kevin McCarthy is in the position he's in. In order to be a great leader, you have to show strength. You have to show that you will exercise power in a, in a voracious way. Nancy Pelosi wielded power like a villain, and the Democrats did whatever they wanted in the House of Representatives. Republicans have a history of being wimps, whether it's John Boehner or Paul Ryan or whoever. Uh, you can't count on them to wield power because they're ignoramuses when it comes to wielding power. Just look at Trey Gowdy, one of the best examples of people who were incompetent and corrupted by the process. The, the answer is that this process is going to take care of itself. I have no idea how it's going to resolve itself. I don't see there's a way for Kevin to become speaker. Uh, when you have this small a margin, see, his, his enemy is his margin. When you have this small a margin in, the, in terms of your majority, you're dead meat if you don't have it worked out. He did not know how to exercise power while he was campaigning to be speaker. He didn't get it right. He doesn't know how to exercise power. There are very few people in the House who know how to do that. We have a very, very bad crew. We have just an awful crew in the Senate. I'm so embarrassed by Mitch McConnell and what they did at the end of the session and his embarrassing explanations for why they did it. I think the Republicans are in very bad shape. I think they have disappointed their supporters. I'm one of them. Yep. Uh, this should have been resolved before this happened. And the fact that he didn't get it resolved shows what a bad leader Kevin McCarthy is. I don't. Joe, Joe I'm going to have to cut it off at that point because I'm up against a hard break. But it's always a pleasure to talk to Joe DeGeneva, former U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia and former chief counsel and staff director at the Senate Rules Committee. Joe, thanks very much. Back in just a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lawrence Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. This segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you get to pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Our Twitter poll today, should Northwest schools require vaccination of parents who want to volunteer in the schools? This came from an email I got from a young lady, Kendra, who wrote to me. I don't know her, but she... uh, she wanted to be a volunteer for her kids to a kid's school, public school. And what does the public school say? Fill out this long application process to be a volunteer. And at the very end of it, it says, and we need your proof of vaccination. And she says, I'm not a criminal. I don't have a record. I've never been to jail. But because I'm not vaccinated, I can't volunteer on a school field trip. 
I think that's ridiculous. I would say, no, the school should not make that a requirement. And I've given you a chapter and verse on why. Now, it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. You can find the question at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Yesterday, I asked you whether or not the Oregon Democrat Party should return the half million dollars it got from the FTX crypto fraud. You know, they've got ill-gotten gains. I mean, for the Democrat Party, it's probably nothing new. But should they turn the money back so it can go back to its rightful owners? 96% of you agreed with me and said yes, and 5% of you said no. I'd love to talk to one of the 5%ers about why you shouldn't have to return money when you know that it is, uh, you know, it's, it's ill-gotten gains. So let's go to your calls now. Let's start with uh, Al in Bellevue. Hey, Al, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KVI. What's on your mind? Uh, thanks for having me on. I was listening to the uh, earlier person who spoke about Earth is not on a railroad track, and you know maybe that's why we have changes in climate. Well, it's way, climate is way more complicated than what was being spoken about there. There's so many things involved. I believe there's, I probably pronounced it wrong, the Beklovich cycles. There's a whole bunch of cycles we go through. Some are orbital, some are solar. That makes temperatures on Earth and yep. the climate on Earth change. I mean, well, let, the Earth you, museum, is it? Yeah. This was a guy who called me and said, maybe maybe we're getting closer to the sun at other at sometimes and farther away. And I said, physics doesn't allow that. But you're right. I mean, there's water vapor, there's CO2. There are lots and lots of things that go into climate. So I, I totally agree with you. I was just telling the guy that his theory was that somehow occasionally we get closer to the sun. And I said, physics tells you you really can't. So the, the Earth in some ways is on a physics rail, set of railroad tracks, isn't it? The orbit around the sun is fairly constant. I think there might be some changes in it. But, for example, what I wanted to get back to as far as the display at the Burke Museum, it shows there were 3,000 feet of ice covering Seattle 16,000 years ago. Yep. All of that ice melted, and the ocean rose 130 meters uh, 16,000 years ago. And they talk now sometimes that, oh, this is a biggest climate change we've ever had <laughs> that what we have now is insignificant compared to that and what's really significant is that's a hundred thousand year cycle about every hundred thousand years we go into a cycle where and seattle's covered by ice for about ninety thousand years and then for about ten thousand years we have what we have now which we're really in getting near the end of that where at some point we could go back into the ice age again. Yes, and that we could. Cycle lasted, that cycle lasted about 600,000, 800,000 years. And for a couple of million years before that, the cycle of ice ages was 41,000 years. And nobody can explain why both the 41,000 and the 100,000 are uh, cycles that we go through. Um, there's a lot of cycles that affect it. But what what is interesting is that about four or five million years ago, there was no ice in the northern hemisphere for over 200 million years. I'm sorry, about four or five million years ago, there was no ice in the northern hemisphere for over 200 million years. Yep. In the southern hemisphere, prior to 10 million years ago, there was no ice. The natural state of Earth, since there's been multi-cell life on Earth, has been an ice-free greenhouse. 
it's having Earth, having ice, any permanent ice anywhere on Earth is not normal. And what's scary is if you go back 50,000, gosh, like 50 million years, we've been on a constant drop in temperature, especially the last 5 million years. And, and Al, Al I'm glad to have you rattle off all the stats. Here's the concern for yeah. today, and that is when you have people saying we have to crimp the ability of human beings to make energy that is usable to us, you know, shut down coal, shut down oil, shut down natural gas, don't develop nuclear, even in the United States, even though it's being developed in other parts of the world, as we head into what is likely to be cooler times in decades and, and centuries ahead, you're going to put human beings in a really tough spot. And I'm with you. A lot of these cycles are very long cycles. You go back and take a look at the medieval warming period, medieval cooling period. Those were times that were hundreds of years long. Human beings just don't live long enough to actually understand this is comes and goes. If you wake up in the morning and it gets light and you go to bed at night and it gets dark, you say, well, that's a natural cycle. Some of these cycles are decades long, some are centuries long, and we just don't live long enough to see them. But the records are there, as you pointed out. You can go to the Burke Museum and see them, and that makes sense. Orbiting closer to the sun without slowing the Earth down or orbiting farther away without speeding the Earth up, that one's not likely. And I don't exactly know where the gear shift or the rocket motors are that make that happen, but apparently the guy who called me does. You're listening to Conspiracy Theory Thursday on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and it's the Radio Northwest Network, and I'm proud to be with you. Glad to serve the Pacific Northwest with honestly provocative talk on that Radio Northwest Network. And uh, glad to take your calls as well. If you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote in our Twitter poll. Today's question, should Northwest schools require vaccination? for parents who want to volunteer in their schools. And of course, there I'm talking about the mRNA COVID shot. And we've had all kinds of debates about calling it a vaccination or not. I, I use the term interchangeably. There's some people who see it as a vaccination. I tend not to because it doesn't stop you from getting the disease, doesn't stop you from transmitting the disease. Also, doesn't even stop you from dying of the disease or getting very sick from the disease, although that's relatively rare. I got this offer from Julie Bar uh, Barrett, who is the founder of Conservative Ladies of Washington. And she said, we've got some great bills that we're going to push in Olympia, and I want to hear about them. Julie, welcome to the program. Hey, Lars. Thank you so much for having me. Now, why, is, why does Conservative Ladies of Washington exist? Why did you pull that group together, and what do you think you might get done in the state capitol this year? Well, it's interesting that you ask that. I actually never had any intention of it becoming what it is today. Back in late 2019, I set up a little Facebook group for the few conservative women friends that I had as a safe place for them to come and talk where they wouldn't get kicked out because I had gotten kicked out of all the neighborhood Facebook groups. And it, as 2020 <laughs> happened and 
COVID hit and then the George Floyd riots of 2020, uh, the group uh, grew in huge numbers. It's now the Facebook group itself is uh, about 10,000 people, um, just ladies in the state of Washington. I had no idea there were that many conservative ladies in Washington state. So that's amazing. Thank God for that. Thank God for, exactly. for, for their being and, and for their being. In fact, is it is it hard to find the sites or the uh, social media for conservative ladies of Washington? No, actually, in uh, about two years ago, I decided to make it a an organization. And, you know, we were working with candidates. Um, we were getting involved in legislation. And so we have a website, conservative ladies of dot com. And uh, we're all over social media. So you can just type in conservative ladies of Washington into any platform or search engine and, and we should pop up. Um, but we are, our main focus um, right now is supporting conservative lawmakers, uh, electing conservative candidates and really focusing on legislation and informing and educating citizens so they can take action and participate in the process. Well, I think that's good because it, yeah, the fact is, Julie, I know there are those of us who are very involved in the you know, political sphere, uh, and we say, well, you have to get involved, and you got to spend hours and hours and study all these things and write letters and do all that. People have lives, people have jobs, and people have families. I understand that. So making it relatively easy for people to get the issues, find out how do I act on them, who do I call, what bills should we be concerned with getting past Olympia, let's bang through some of the the bills that your group thinks are most important to get lawmakers to act on this year? Perfect. Well, first of all, we have set up a legislative action center on our website. So when people go to conservativeladiesofwa.com, there's a button on our homepage for our legislative action center, and that shows them all the bills that we're following, and it gives act- they can click on them. It's very interactive. Um, we've just invested in this program, and it makes it really easy for people who don't have a lot of time. Um, so one of the things, and this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to connect with you, is I believe that you know we have a duty to support our conservative legislators, our Republican lawmakers that are doing the right thing in, in this fight for us, and There are a lot of really good bills being put forward, but as you and I both know, with a Democrat majority getting those bills to even see a hearing uh, is going to be a battle. Um, And so we're really trying to focus on a few key good bills that people can really get behind and that we can give people calls to action so that they can speak out and try to get these bills to movement. So um, there is a Parents' Bill of Rights, Um, to their child's public education. It's Senate Bill 5024, and the sponsor on that is Senator Perry Dozier. And this is a great bill. It requires the public schools to let parents know what is being taught and who is teaching it. So if the teacher brings in uh, an outside resource to teach something to the kids, say, you know, one of these, um, you know, United Way Foundation Hope Centers, they, some of these schools are bringing in homeless youth shelters to talk to the kids. Um, and How so about the ones that want to bring in Planned Parenthood to teach kids about sex? Because that one really yep. gets my goat. Exactly. Um, that would be part of it, too. So if you bring in Planned Parenthood, anybody that's not a teacher in the school district, you would have to um, alert the parents and let the parents know who's going to be taught so that the parents have the opportunity to opt their child out of that teaching. Good. 
How about dra- Drag Queen Story Hour? I'm sure comes into that as well. What's the next bill? And I want to make sure we make the most use of the time. And believe me, Julia, this won't be the last time we talk to you. What's the next big bill you want to get through? So another bill that we really love is Jim Walsh's House Bill 1093. This is a school choice bill. This is at least the second time he has sponsored uh, this bill. This bill would be an opt-in program, so it would allow up to 100,000 students in the state of Washington to receive a $12,000 a year scholarship for the parents to use for private school, uh, curricula, all kinds of educational resources for their child. Um, this, he has written specific language in here so that it does not put government controls onto the homeschool families right. or private schools. So it really has the protection around that, which has been one of the things that the homeschool parents um, have, have come into question with last year. It's a great bill to give parents school choice. And, and one of the things that we know about the, the way that the government schools are run is it does harm the minority uh, students the most. You know, the COVID lockdown harmed the minority students the most, and this would actually give an even playing field to all students. Could could I suggest something, Julie? It's just an idea. And, you know, since you got it for free, feel free to toss it if you don't like it. <laughs> I, I almost think parents need a, 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 you know, for some of them, they'll know the issue well. But if you say, here's a cheat sheet, you're going to hear the opponents say X. And, and one of the first things I know the opponents will say is, you're going you're gonna to bankrupt the public schools. No, you're not, because public schools in Washington State are spending about 18000 a year. So if you gave 12 of it to a parent to have their child educated elsewhere, they're forgiven of the job of educating that child, but they still get to keep one-third of all the money. So you're not going to at all harm public schools, but you might benefit parents by letting them find alternatives. And when they start telling other parents, hey, my kid's doing great. I moved them out of the public schools, and they're now in this charter or in this online or in this private or parochial school you say, well, how do I get that? You say, well, you, you go down and sign up for this. It'll benefit everybody. Check out the website of conservativeladiesofwa.org. Uh, Julie, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on the program. Coming up in a moment, I want to get to your phone calls, and I want to tell you a story about an illegal alien in Seattle who's going to benefit. He gets the gift of staying in the United States because of a program that was illegal when it was signed into effect. You're not going to believe it. you got the Lars Larson Show on the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. If you want to jump into the conversation, and I will get to calls here in just a moment, but i got to tell you about this story because this is so outrageous. But first, 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. Two places for that, although we're not a Democrat show, so only vote one time if you don't mind at Lars Larson Show on Twitter or LarsLarson.com on our website. So, years ago, President Barack Obama stood in front of an audience on video and he was asked, well, why don't you just make it legal for all these illegal aliens to stay in America? And there were two answers to that. Number one, because he couldn't get Congress to do it because the people's representatives said, no, we're not going to change the law. We already let a million people a year in. That's enough. That was answer number one. Answer number two, somebody said, well, why don't you just sign an order and make it so? And Barack Obama, uh, who calls himself a constitutional scholar, told the audience on video, I can't do that. It would be illegal for me to do that. Now, about a year after he said that, 
he went ahead and did exactly what he had described one year earlier as illegal. And it was just as illegal when he did it. In fact, when Donald Trump came into office, they said, let's get rid of this DACA program, the so-called Dreamer program. They've always got to put a name on it. It makes it feel all warm and fuzzy. And uh, the Supreme Court didn't say it was legal. They admitted that what Barack Obama had done was illegal. They merely said that the way the Trump administration, the bureaucratic way they went about trying to reverse that policy, it was never a law, it was never a bill before the Congress, it wasn't a court decision, it was just a piece of paper that Barack Obama signed that created deferred action on childhood arrivals. So it was illegal. But the Supreme Court said, and even if it's illegal, you have to go through the right legal process to get rid of something that's illegal. Doesn't make sense to me, but I'm not a lawyer, so maybe I don't know. Uh, in any case, fast forward to a Mexican man in Seattle who's arrested six years ago now, 2017. Um, and he said, look, but I'm covered under DACA. He's now 29 years old. They always talk about the DACA people as kids. He's 29. And what happened was he got arrested because the immigration folks came to his Seattle apartment complex to arrest his father, who was a, get this, previously deported felon criminal. And they found him instead, Daniel, uh, Daniel Ramirez Medina. And they said, we're arresting you. And why? Because they believed that he was involved in gang activity. He had the tats. He had all that stuff. And he said, oh, no, no, I'm not in a gang at all. So he was detained for about 46 days, despite the fact that he was part of DACA, or the Dreamer program. Uh, and then they began negotiating. Now, as of this week, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Seattle, they didn't agree that he wanted almost half a million dollars because of his 46-day detention and his false arrest and false imprisonment. He said, no, we're not giving you that. But we will let you lawfully stay in the United States. So you've got somebody, you have to remember, everybody under DACA is still an illegal alien. And the only thing that arguably allows them to stay in the United States is another illegal act, the program put together by Barack Obama. Again, not a change in the law. Barack Obama could have asked the Congress. He had a Congress that was Democrat. He could have asked them. He didn't do that. He just said, I signed my name to a piece of paper, and I change federal law. And even the Supreme Court admits it was illegal to do that, but you have to legally remove the illegal program, If again, if that makes sense to any of the lawyers out there. So they have now negotiated with Mr. Medina, who is still an illegal alien, covered by DACA, and now with the Biden administration, they're not going to pay any attention to that. They don't care if he's here illegally, and they're going to give him status to stay in the United States. Under the settlement, he is granted a four-year stay of deportation, during which time he will be allowed to work and may apply for other forms of relief to avoid deportation. The stay can be revoked if he breaks any U.S. laws, and I'll believe that when I see it. But this is how crazy it is. An illegal action by an illegal alien, then backed up by an illegal action by Barack Obama, and then Barack Obama's illegal act decided to be kept in place by a Supreme Court that said you have to find a way to legitimately get rid of the illegal act. I mean, it's about as crazy as anything gets in this country. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with Steve. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? 
Hello, sir. Um, a couple different times here during this whole uh, shot vaccine definition thing, uh, you and I had talked about it not being a vaccine. I just right. had heard you go through that, that it's not a vaccine, but you had been on the other multiple times saying it was. So I just, where, where did the change come from? How did the change occur? Well, was it just the evidence that, that finally came out that, that most people were already saying, you know, on, on the kind of the conservative side? No, what happened was, Steve, when they first began talking about creating the vaccine, they called it a vaccine. When it first came out, uh, they, they actually, as recently as a year ago, the Biden administration has been saying, if you get this vaccine, you can't get sick. That was a lie. They said, you can't, you won't go to the hospital. And Joe Biden himself said that. We played the soundbite the other day, and that was about a year ago. said, no, that's a lie as well. That's not true. In fact, the majority of people who are dying uh, of, the, of COVID are vaccinated. So uh, it's a term of art, much like assault weapon. I, I, what, pe- what the liberals call assault weapons are not assault weapons. They're not used by any military in the world. Occasionally in conversations, I'll refer to it as an assault weapon be- so that people know the issue I'm talking about. Now, what I could have say is semi-automatic sporting rifle. And when the young lady wrote to me saying, hey, the school that I want to be a volunteer for my, my kid's class, and they're telling me I have to be vaccinated, I could say... They're telling her that she has to take the thing that is referred to as a vaccine, but which is just a shot and does not keep you from getting sick or going to the hospital or dying. I could I could do that. Sometimes it's quicker just to refer to it by the term of art that is used for it by most of the people. And I hate getting all tied up in what something is called. I understand the significance and I've made the point, I don't know, probably hundreds. I don't know if I've done it thousands of times saying this shot does not keep you from getting sick does not keep you from transmitting the disease to others, does not keep you from being hospitalized, and does not keep you from dying. I've said that hundreds of, or hundreds of times at least. But if we get all tied up in the language instead of the issue itself, then it kind of buries the whole conversation, right? Well, well I understand that. But there was, there was definitely a time where you were, you were saying that this was a vaccine because there was a change in in your health or it, it made some kind of change and i made an argument that well, well so was I, I that told, when they were developing it we didn't know what it was at the time and we didn't know how it was going to behave at the time i called it what was being called by everybody at the time all the medical folks even the people who weren't that crazy about having but once it became something where the government said you have to get this to get you, keep your job you have to get this to be a volunteer uh, and when we found out, which we didn't begin to find out until about the middle of 2020, sorry, middle of 2021, um, uh, sorry, middle of 2020, as we got to great numbers of people who had taken the shot, and it turns out a lot of them were getting sick anyway, and it was very clear it was yeah. not a vaccine. At that point, yeah, you can call it something else. But for the sake of conversation, if we call it what is being called by the schools, by employers, by governments, it's just so you understand the conversation. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. As you know, we've come to learn in the last couple of years that there was an awful lot of interference with America's elections, both in 2022 and in 2020, not just on the ground, you know, with ballots sent out to people that weren't allowed to get a ballot under the law and things like that, uh, but also by social media, social media that tried to control and even shape the flow of information that got to American taxpayers and voters. Uh, And that's a concern. 
And it's a concern for me whether or not we're going to see that same kind of impact next year in 2024. So I've invited Fred Lucas on, who's chief news correspondent for The Daily Signal and author of the book, The Myth of Voter Suppression. Fred, welcome back to the program and Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. So should we worry about the impact that big tech is going to have in the big election coming up next year for president and a big big one for Congress as well, uh, given that there are some new laws in place that should have some effect? And we've also come to understand some of the influences on Twitter, like the FBI and the NSA and the CIA and seemingly everybody else from the left side of the aisle. Well, yeah, uh, the um, we did have... Um when a lot of those election reform laws were passed in 2021, uh, 24 states uh, passed laws that banned Zuckerbucks. Now, that's not just Mark Zuckerberg. Then I said that bans private money from going into funding public elections. Uh, that, that's to prevent um, basically uh, politicized election offices. Um, however, um, uh, we basically have done an investigation. We added through public records requests. Uh, and we expect to find a lot more, but we find out uh, two uh, jurisdictions um, through this form uh, are getting $500,000 grants from a private organization. Uh, it, um, it is a partnership between um, the organization that was distributing those Mark Zuckerberg grants in uh, 2020, and they are partnering with um, a an Arabella Advisors-backed uh, company. Uh, organization. So uh, th- these are left-wing organizations that are uh, funding election offices. And and that spells, spells bad news because uh, this is not something I'm, you can expect uh, strings will not be attached. Strings are always attached when these grants go out. And these election offices, they want revenue, and they're going to usually do what these politicized offices want them to do. And the group you're talking about is the U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence. I, I love that they always yes, put a warm right. and fuzzy name. Who could be against election excellence? And yet what yeah, they plan exactly. to do is hand out these yeah. grants, 500000 each, but with them, like you said. And would you mind giving give my audience an example? I can think of a couple, but an example of some of the strings that get attached when elections offices or states or counties get these grants that will help to twist the vote one direction or another? Well, uh, a lot of what happened in 2020, we know what did happen. A lot of that happened in 2020. They uh, uh, set up uh, ballot drop boxes in specific areas where they thought would get a higher portion of the Democratic vote. That that money was used. Uh, There was a legal finding in Wisconsin uh, that determined that those uh, this is um, Mark Zuckerberg money uh, was basically used as a an illegal get out to vote operation. Uh, you know, election offices are not supposed to be involved in um, get out to vote operations that could uh, benefit one party over the other. Uh, I and it looks like that's what's going to happen here. It is very hard to believe that uh, Arabella. Uh, which they fund, uh, they spend billions funding left-wing groups all over the country. It's hard to believe uh, an organization affiliated with Arabella is going to make this nonpartisan. And that's also true of uh, the Center for Tech and Civic Life, which is a Chicago-based left-wing organization that was distributing the Zuckerberg grants. Uh, uh, that, those are, that's the primary organization, and they've teamed up with some other left-wing groups that make up this uh, 
uh, U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence. The benign yeah. sounding name there. You, you know, I got to tell you something, Fred. I want to see the laws in place that restrict this kind of thing. But I would think yeah. that there are two front lines of defense that should be there. One should be your elected officials who run the county elections office, because the Constitution says states get to set their own method of election, you know, unless they had one that said women can't vote or people of color can't vote or whatever. The states, the states get to set their own laws. But then how those laws are actually implemented is up to usually county commissions, the county clerk, maybe the state secretary of state, uh, uh, the state elections director, if your state has one. Those people should be the front line of defense saying, we're not taking any money from any group unless it, it comes in clean. That is, no strings attached. So, for instance, I know one of the big issues in Georgia, which they twisted for the public, is they said, why, they're saying that if you're a, a voter standing in line to cast a ballot and it's hot as blazes outside, that nobody can even offer you a bottle of water. No, what they said was... You can't walk down the line of voters say, by the way, Stacey Abrams sent this nice, cool bottle of water for you as you wait to go in and vote in the election. You can't do, in other words, you can't tie something you're giving to voters or that kind of activity to something that even has somebody's name on it. Because clearly, if Stacey Abrams gave you a nice drink of water and you were kind of hefty 50 on who you're going to vote for for governor, why, it, it might just push you over the edge to the other side and you don't need to make much of a change. So the elections offices said, you can take water. Some candidate or some campaign wants to drop off a few cases of water with no, you know, no candidate marks on them. We'll be glad to hand them out to everybody. But we're not going to tell those people that they're getting this bottle of water from Brian Kemp or from Stacey Abrams. We could do the same kind of thing with these other programs, couldn't we? Say, yeah, you want to have us put out more drop boxes? Great. But you're not going to tell us where the drop boxes are going to be. So you can say, we're going to put a whole bunch more drop boxes into the neighborhoods most likely to produce Democrat ballots. Uh, yeah, they could do that. Uh, I, I think maybe even a, a better idea would be to just say no private money coming into there. And, and I, I, I realize a lot of local governments, they don't want to turn down any kind of money. Uh, but uh, I mean, th this is we're, we're we're not talking about uh, running a school bake sale here. We we are talking no. about uh, we're talking about actually interfering with um, how elections are run at the local level. And and one can imagine if a private organization or uh, if, if if Coke Industries uh, decided they're going to uh, come in and, and donate money uh, to see how elections are run at the local level in battleground states or and so forth. Uh, the left would go ballistic about something like that. Uh, here, the left is able to say, well, we're benevolently trying to make sure voting rights and ex election excellence is carried forward. Uh, it can't work that way. I mean, we uh, it's really clear what um, the left is up to here. Yeah, it is. And, and the thing is, Fred, none of this prevents any of those do-good groups, left or right, from going into particular neighborhoods and saying, we're going to have seminars. We're going to hand out materials. You can engage in First Amendment free speech, and you can say we'd like uh, we'd like more people of color to vote. Uh, you know, they can't offer you something of value in exchange for you going and vote voting, but they they can they can do that. What they can't do is funnel the money into government institutions. But you know, the second line of defense, Fred, really should be you and me and everybody else in the mainstream media to go to counties and say, are you taking any outside money, and show us a list. And then tell us what are the requirements that came along with that money. 
And if reporters were doing that job, and it would be great local stories to do in local newspapers, yeah. on local TV and radio, um, that would shut a lot of that stuff down. You're, you're taking a half million dollars, and you're doing it in such a way that it's twisted toward one side or the other. And, and then you raise a hue and cry, and you would hope that those elected officials would say, I don't want all this trouble. We're going to turn that money back. That's Fred Lucas. Fred is a great guy. He is with The Daily Signal and author of the book most recently, The Myth of Voter Suppression. Fred, thanks very much. I appreciate the time. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll at LarsLarsonShow and at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. This segment is brought to you by Valhalla Tea, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. That's ValhallaTea.com. And our Twitter poll question today should Northwest schools require vaccination or the jab or the shot for parents to be volunteers in schools? I would say no to that. I got an email from a young lady, Kendra, who wrote to me and said she wanted to be a parent volunteer for her child's class, in this case, in the Eugene School District, although I think they've imposed these kinds of limitations everywhere. And she filled out a long form, a long application about criminal background and everything else, and then gets to the part where they said, well, you have to provide your vaccination record or you cannot be a parent volunteer. I don't think there's any logical basis for that. Now that we know that the so-called vaccination, the shot, the jab, whatever you want to call it, symptom suppressor, uh, does not keep you from getting it, from giving it, from transmitting it, from going to the hospital or even from dying from it. So what's the point of requiring vaccination or the jab for parent volunteers? I don't think there is one. You can vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Tom. Hey, Tom, welcome to Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And what's on your mind? Well, food. And he's supposed to be splitting the hanging rent. I have no idea what Tom is. Tom, I think, is not listening, so he may just run out of his chance to comment. Tom, what's on your mind today? Lars, Lars, come in, Lars. I can hear you. I got you. Got you five by five. What's up, Tom? I got an idea. This is kind of a mess with the Republicans and picking a leader for the House. And I got a guy that I don't think anybody could vote against. And he's smart as a brain surgeon. Dr. Ben Carson. <laughs> he is a brain surgeon. You're right. But I here's... just can't see anybody voting against that guy. Well, the Democrats, I don't think, like him at all. I think the Democrats they... despise him because they say, you have dark skin, therefore you should be a Democrat. You've chosen to be a Republican, therefore we don't like you at all. But he's black, Lars. Yeah, but I don't think that's going to matter. It's, it's not going to matter because when I, I have friends who are people of color, who are conservatives, and believe me, they get chapter and verse, not just, they get chapter and verse from any of the left who say, no, no, you're a person of color, you have to be a liberal Democrat. And they say, no, I don't. It's America. I can be anybody I want. And I think there are a lot of people, I like Dr. Ben Carson. I think he's very smart. 
Uh, we've had him on the show any number of times, although not lately. But the, the, the guy is very, very smart and has done a, did a very good job as a cabinet secretary. But there's no way in the world that the Democrats would take him. The other thing is, Tom, the fact that somebody as brilliant as a brain surgeon uh, probably works against them being a smart political leader in some ways because he is very smart and he's very careful and he's very considered. When we've talked to him, he, he, he doesn't just snap out an answer. I think the skill set that it takes to be Speaker of the House is like herding cats because you've got to you've got to run this gigantic institution composed of 435 members of Congress, thousands of staff members, dozens of committees and all the rest of the and hundreds or thousands of pieces of legislation. I think it's a very complicated job and it's fraught with all kinds of opportunities for uh, political mishaps. My my problem is Lars is he is clever and he's not a divider. And that's the problem now we have. Nothing but Democrats up against Republicans, and the Republicans are splitting Republicans against Republicans. Yeah, except and that I Tom, think Tom, part of the... bring things together. And if yeah, not, but, but here's, here's the problem, Tom. Tom, can I tell you there's a hazard in uniters? And can I tell you what it is? Because you, you tell the House of Representatives, we want you to bring everybody together, and we're going to sing Kumbaya. The problem is some of the ideas that turn into bills that could become laws are divisive ideas. If you say we should have a law limiting morning after birth control abortion pills and they should be as easy to get as PEZ, you should be able to go to any pharmacy and get one anytime you want for any reason you want. And you say, hold on, is that a great idea? Some people say the Democrats and the liberals will say, yeah, it's a fantastic idea. Kill as many babies as you can. And then you'll have other people, people who are pro-life, say, no, it's a terrible idea. When you have divisive ideas, Tom, you have to figure out not how do we get the compromise, because you could end up like King Solomon having to cut the baby in half, or at least propose to cut the baby in half, which isn't an answer, and going all the way one direction or all the way the other direction. The go-along, get-along, America's had too much of that, at least in my opinion. Let's go to Kara. Hey, Kara, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. We've got about a minute to the end of the hour. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Yes, I think people are looking at the Speaker of the House thing all wrong. I think it's a great chance for stand-up comedy, and somebody that would get a heck of a lot done is uh, John Kennedy from Louisiana. Oh. And I say, <laughs> let's elect would... him to the speakership. I'd, I'd be laughing for two years at least. You know, and he's, he's actually, we've had him on the show a number of times. John Kennedy is one of my favorites. He's not related at all to the Massachusetts Kennedys. No. He's a great guy from Louisiana. In fact, in, in, in the show, we have one of the sound bites from him where he says, why do we have to give money to countries that hate us? They ought to be able to hate us for free. And John Kennedy, but he's got that kind of common sense. He's probably got too yes, much yes. common sense to be the Speaker yes, of the House, and everybody on both sides knows it. Kara, thanks a lot for the call. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. 
So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.